0: Chatters and Matters with Ashling O'Rourke on Midlands 183. With St. Kieran's Nursing Home Wrath Cabin and Comfort Keepers Live and Care Services.
1: You're very welcome to Chatters and Matters. Ellen Butler here again, filling in for Ashling once again this week. Hope all is well wherever you are tuning in from this morning. Today's show is brought to you with thanks to Comfort Keepers and St. Kieran's nursing home at cabin. And of course, thanks as always to the Age Friendly Alliance for their contributions. If you'd like to get in touch with the programme, the best way to do so is via email Ellen at midlands103.com. Coming up between now and nine o'clock we're hearing so much about the climate crisis and here in the Midlands I suppose there's so much talk of winding down peat harvesting and moving away from what we know and it can get quite depressing at times to be honest and difficult to see what's ahead of us so we'll be discussing how some communities in Offley are being proactive and already breathing in new life. ...into our towns and villages. We'll also be remembering a champion of the sleeve blooms, the late great Mick Dowling. But first up, it's always a comfort to know there's someone on the end of the phone ready to help if you ever find yourself in need. And of course you're already familiar with um, Age Friendly Ireland, but did you know that there is actually an Age Friendly Coordinator in every county on hand to offer all kinds of assistance? Well, Anne Moran is the Age-Friendly Coordinator for Westmeath and she joins me this morning to chat a little more about it. Good morning, Anne. You're very welcome to Chatters and Matters. Good
2: morning. Thank you very much for the invite.
1: You're very welcome, Anne. Um, so tell us, Anne, what exactly is an Age-Friendly Coordinator? What is it that you do?
2: The Age-Friendly Coordinator of the programme itself is a, a two-year pilot project uh, which started in May this year and finishes in May twenty-three. And it has uh, a number of aims. One of the aims is to support um, older people remaining in their homes. Research does state very clearly that older people do want to remain in their homes. And what the program does, it it puts that uh, support in place uh, to ensure that the older person does maintain their independence yeah, that's the big um, thing, so, Anne, isn't
1: it, about maintaining independence? Because there is that the tendency, unfortunately, in general, to think of older people a, as having to be minded once you're over a certain age, and and that's not even the case in reality.
2: Yes, yes, and you know the desire then uh, for older people to stay on their own is it can be often challenged by the the home not being suitable. You know, okay, uh, particularly yeah. where. Their, their their needs become maybe more pronounced, their financial means decrease, you know, and their mobility does decline. Um so, you know, the, the age friendly programme is very much around uh performing or carrying out an assessment and intervention. Um and once all of that done is done, you know, the living environment for the older person can be changed in a very positive way from one of being a health risk to one of being a, a real support, a health support for the older person.
1: Um, okay, so when you when you say that, Anne, are you talking about kind of the likes of stairs and, and maybe bathroom yes, facilities so. and stuff yes. like that?
2: Yes, so during the, the assessment, so um, the referral, I should add, can come in from anyone. It can be a self-referral. It can come in from health professionals, from friends, neighbours, relatives, um, where they may have a concern and where they feel that the programme could be Uh, very positive and could actually help the older person. So an example of that would be, I would, as coordinator, I would carry out an assessment. Um, It covers four areas. It covers health, housing, community voluntary supports and any technological aids. Um, So you've just brought up there the whole thing of the stair lift. Um, That uh, could be for someone who has difficulty uh, with getting up the stairs where there is a falls risk uh, to them, uh, where, you know, um, the, the provision um, in the home uh, may not be able to accommodate a downstairs bedroom, um, but also where the older person wants to uh, remain um, and keep their bedrooms upstairs, that's where the stair can come in. It can be very, very beneficial. Mm-hmm. So I would go out and do the assessment. The assessment, as I said, covers those four areas, and it it, um, identifies a number of actions um, which uh, can come out of the assessment. It's a very informal, it's a very relaxed conversation. And when, you know, if an older person um, feels very comfortable, you know, with uh, the person in mind talking to the coordinator, um, a lot of very, very positive things can come up in that conversation. Um, And as I said, the assessment does... Um, identify a number of actions so one of the actions as I said could be the stair lift it could be heating it could be replacement windows doors so um, what would come into play there is adaptation grants um, which the council uh, do give um, on an annual basis so what I would do there as coordinator is I would support the older person filling out these adaptation grant forms and you know for a lot of older people These grants, these forms can be very uh, mind-blowing. So that's Mm. where I come into play. I provide that support to them in filling out the form. Um, I see the form to the whole process. Um, Then you will get the older person who is very, very independent, you know, and who just requires that information. So um, So you're kind of meeting
1: their needs, Anne, really. It's kind of tailoring your approach depending on on the individual. Oh,
2: very much so. You have to be very, very mindful you know as a coordinator mm. that you're in the home of these um this older person they have to as i said feel very comfortable um uh in talking to you so you very much have to i do believe as coordinator put yourself in in their position mm, um yeah. uh of of understanding where their needs are um there's a great um good feel factor about this particular role in that you are Um, I I see examples, you know, I've carried out a number of assessments now over the past four months and there's a lovely, uh, positive, uh, good feel factor about this position that you're helping um, someone, you know, as as we talked about, we talked about the housing, you know, uh, we also talked about the health. An example of that could be uh, a day service, a referral to a day service, whether it's a HSE, a voluntary or statutory day service. Um, And that whole feeling, you know, obviously the pandemic has been very difficult on older people, particularly where they had a regular routine prior to all of this happening. And some of them now are on their own. They're in isolation. They may be a bit lonely. Uh, That routine is gone. So to even have for that older person to have a purpose, get up in the morning, to look forward to something in the morning, Uh, even it could be, as I said, a day service referral and it could be even one day a week, that is just so yeah. beneficial it's so um, important. to an yeah. older person. Like very you say, co- so. COVID has yeah. really
1: shone the light on, on this oh, and, and very, disrupted very, very things. Very, very much
2: so. Very, very. And, you know, obviously for for the whole population, for mm. others as well, not just for older people too, but um, it has been very, very difficult for older people. Um, so I suppose it's uh, the, the job is, there, there's so much information out there. It's just mind-blowing the amount of information and sometimes what can happen is people simply don't know where to go they yeah. don't know who yeah. to call on you know and, and I yeah, especially those grants and,
1: and you might not even be aware of the grants let alone be able to no, to, exactly, to navigate exactly. the, the form so it, it's great yeah, to have yeah. the likes of yourself out there who like you say might just want a bit of information but don't know where to get it or yeah. actually maybe need some some more um some more help but you yeah. you, you reference the kind of stuff. people wanting to maintain independence and, and that's so important as well and i suppose there maybe would you would you encounter an element of pride and in in older people who maybe are a bit you know apprehensive or a bit afraid to admit actually i do need help
2: Oh 100% you know and i think that's where it has to come into play that as a coordinator you have to be very um sensitive to their needs Um, you have to show that empathy I think you also have to show that um, understanding uh, towards the difficulties that they may have as well I should also add that you know when myself or the coordinator does enter the home um, you know the older person is very welcome to have a relative or a neighbour or person that they totally trust to be present during the the assessment as well I very much encourage and, and welcome that you know, um, um, just to provide assistance. Sometimes maybe clarity might be required, you know, for the older person. I may say something, you know, they may not be clear about what has been said. I obviously mm-hmm. always communication, very clear, uh, sure communication is very, very important. You know, when talking to an older person, um, as I said, some of the language can be quite difficult at times. But it's, it's my role as coordinator to keep the language very clear, very simple so that older person um, does um, understand what has been said or what has been asked of them. But, uh, you know, having the relative or the neighbour, someone that they trust to have that can advocate, maybe can add that extra piece of information in there, which the older person uh, may not say, um, you know, I think so. I very, very much would would encourage um, that as well. So the older person is never... On their own, yeah. um, In terms of answering any 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 questions,
1: okay, um, that's good. You said, good to know. Yeah, I uh, you yeah. mentioned as well the technological assistance. So would that be in terms of, of kind of digital stuff? I suppose you see more of that it's with um, very very with COVID very much. Very well.
2: much so. Yes, exactly. You know, you can have um, falls detectors. Uh, the panic buttons seem to be obviously something that is um, very very um, relevant again for the older person. Um, and you know it's very it's a very cost effective um, form of technology um, for the older person as well. Um, it's a fantastic piece of technology in that you know if, if the older person does, um, God forbid, have a fall, there is three nominated persons there for which um, the uh, organization obviously may contact with. Um, and uh, whoever is available then can come to the aid of that older person. I do believe, you know, the older person does find that a great sense of security as well. I know it's quite a common, and quite a popular form of technology, but it does provide that um, very comfort. positive reassurance. Yeah, uh, you, you yes. mightn't even yes.
1: ever need it, but knowing it's there is what's important.
2: See, it's fantastic, yes, 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 yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And, and is there a particular eligibility when it comes to this and just in, in general to, yes, be, to be able to um, access your the, service?
2: Yes, well, we do say uh, 65 and and older, but obviously, you know, there is discretion there in terms of if um, a person felt that there was a, a need maybe for someone from 55 onwards, uh, we would encourage a referral to come in to us as well um i do believe it's having um it's about having a very preventative approach uh to someone um uh, someone's condition deteriorating it's about yeah. um getting in there early on providing that support um as promptly as possible um and promoting that independence um you know it's 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 much much easier to have a preventative approach than than having to deal with the difficulties you know um, yeah. that arise over 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 time. Yeah, um, so yes, we would we would encourage that as well.
1: If anyone would like to get in touch with yourself, Anne, I know you kind of cover the Westmead area. I'll give some details as well afterwards. Just about Leash and Offley too. But but how can they go about getting in touch with you?
2: Well, they can send an email. Um, they can send a referral or an email directly over to myself at an dot at me, dot um, and then my uh, phone number is as well, is 085 845 So as I said, I very much welcome the the, the referrals. Um, they can ring and even query. You know, if uh, they think, um, if they just want even further information about the program, they're very welcome to send an email into me or give me a ring. Um, obviously, if I'm unable to answer their call, if they leave a, a brief. A message a very clear name and number i will return the call as, as promptly as possible and i will enable to answer any queries that they may have um, you know the program may not be suitable for everyone but definitely i do welcome any any further inquiries um, i would be uh, delighted to to get any call and if people do require further information
1: Perfect. Well, look, it's really helpful to to get that information, Anne, and it sounds like uh, a really fantastic service in terms of just facilitating, as you say, uh, older people living in their homes and maintaining their independence, which is is so important. So, look, thanks a million for for joining us on, on Charters and Matters this morning.
2: Lovely. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Anne Moran there, Age-Friendly Coordinator for Meads And just to repeat her contact details, her email is Anne.morin at meescoco.ie or you can phone Anne on 085 86 And if you're based in Leash or Offaly yourself, fret not, there are Age-Friendly Coordinators operating there too. In Offaly, Bridie costello Hines can be contacted on 087 or one one nine eight five nine one, or via email on B at and at least you can call David Murphy on 057 866 4127. Now coming up after the break, we'll be chatting about the Green Offley Regeneration Enterprise.
0: Chatters and Matters with Ashling O'Rourke on Midlands 183 with St. Kieran's Nursing Home Wrath Cabin and Comfort Keeper's Live and Care Services.
1: Welcome back into Chatters and Matters. If you're just joining us, a very good morning. I hope you're keeping well. Now, I'm joined on the line by Rebecca Keevney. She's Project Development Officer with Green Offaly, which is working to regenerate our local communities. Good morning, Rebecca. You're very welcome to Chatters and Matters. How are you this morning? Morning, Ellen. How are you doing? Good, good, thanks. So, look at it. Green Offaly, it started out as an Offaly public participation network. Is that right?
3: it did. It did. So, um, in 2018, I became the environmental representative for Offaly Public Participation Network. So, I sit on the LCDC. And when I joined that committee, uh, we noticed that people weren't taking up funding um, for environmental projects. That would be leader funding. So, we wondered why people were reluctant to apply to undertake environmental projects. So we decided that we, we might want to find out because we knew people were concerned about the environment. We knew they were concerned about climate change. So I guess two weeks after I became the rep, I found myself at this seminar in Dublin. Um, it was part of the government's um, Project 2040 seminars, and uh, they were asking the question, how do we empower our communities in, through climate change? So how can we get communities to get more involved and to make changes to their everyday lives? And um, in that seminar, there were two panels of experts. And everyone had a lot of suggestions, but no one really knew how to approach it. Like everyone knew what needed to be done, but no one knew quite how to do it. Okay. So that was... That was kind of the very beginning, I guess, of Green
1: Offaly. Yeah, so there was that level of apprehension that there was a desire to do something, but it was kind of just not knowing how to go about it.
3: Exactly. And this was two panels of experts, you know, in Dublin right, going well. Right. They had a lot of suggestions as to what should be yeah. done, like communities should be seen more as entrepreneurs and you know, they should get more competitive and they needed to take ownership of things. But they didn't really know how they could do that.
1: So in steps Rebecca?
3: Well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I'd worked in Wales previously and I'd come across the worker development Trusts. And I guess when you compare Offaly to Wales, you know, in, in, there's some similarities in that we have an extracted landscape. Like in Wales, you've got the, the ex fields and uh, the steelwork industries, which it, had it shut down. And here, obviously, we got the cessation of the peatland harvesting industry. So in Wales, what they've done, they've created this thing called a development trust. So they go into communities that had been affected, where there'd been massive job losses and things from the end of industry. And they take over things like derelict buildings that were in the town, You know, a lot of the towns had become very run down, young people had left, there wasn't really employment. So they'd take these buildings that were empty or neglected, and they'd house social enterprises in them, or services that people needed in their communities. And that led to regeneration of the community, it led to more social and economic opportunities in the communities. And I'd seen first hand that this was a brilliant model. You know, it really did revive places.
1: Yeah, you can't underestimate really the uh, impact an industry closing like that can have on the whole wider area. It can really lead to a a wind down nearly in the community and, and the vibrancy of the area. Absolutely.
3: And I know a lot of people in Offaly wouldn't agree with this, but I think we're lucky in that we're right at the beginning and we've got these solutions. Whereas in Wales, communities have been left to degenerate for 20 years. And that had a knock-on effect of massive uh, alcoholism, drug use, um, trouble with young people. You know, 20 years they've been left. Basically, whole communities built up around an industry, and then everyone just left them.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know? The rug pulled from under them, yeah. Yeah. And then, then as, as you mentioned, the depopulation and you know, young people aren't interested in sticking around, which is so sad to see. And I know there's a lot of effort here locally to try not to let that happen or try and reverse it a bit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I thought to myself after this government seminar, why don't we use the development trust model and why don't we use it for the county? Why don't we identify buildings in areas like we hope to have a presence in each main town of the county and why don't we house it with social enterprises, business-generating opportunities that are relevant to that particular area. Like, for example, Bannehill would be close to the Shannon, so it would have its own unique identity, and, you know, so on and so forth. Clara, it used to have a a really big cloth industry, and, uh, you know, so if you were looking at Clara, there's lots of opportunities for, like, circular waste, things like that. You know, they've got beautiful old stone buildings there, so yeah, it's basically just about identifying the strengths that are there, and then just working with communities to see what they would like to have in their area, and mm. that leads on to a knock-on effect of regeneration. And it's kind of giving
1: giving of giving the power giving the power to the the community kind of and hearing their voices Absolutely. and what they want.
3: Yeah, I mean we've got to do this transition. We've got to move to a green society. So how can we do it in a way that brings benefits? instead of punishment
1: to people, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's what you want. So, so what kind of things have you been working on to date?
3: Okay, so uh, we've been quite busy. We um, got funding for a just transition project um, under the Strand One. So the idea with this project is it's um, a study to assess the suitability of Offaly's Peatland Land Bank, that's 21% of it, to um, be suitable for UNESCO biosphere reserve status. So that study is underway at the minute with um, Loop Consultants. Uh, they're based in the UK. So what we're looking at with that study is how would biosphere reserve status for Offaly as a whole, how would it create employment, how would it lead to jobs? You know, We're looking at ecotourism, we're looking at farming on the margins, uh, we're looking at how it could benefit the county's identity as a whole. So we're very excited to see the results of that study Mm. and see if we can go ahead and um, get get a group together with all the key stakeholders to start that process, you know. So that's one project. Um, Another another one, we're in partnership with Offaly Local Development Company, and that is a Strand 2 project for Just Transition. And that is um, giving us a headquarters in Kilcormac, which is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Our Local Development Company have secured just under one million. And uh, I don't know if you know the old Fiesta Ballroom in Kilcormack.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's an (laughs) eyesore. But an incredible historic building, you know, Mm, so important for the peatland communities. So um, we've got funding to uh, renovate that building as per the Development Trust model.
1: Fantastic, And that's
3: going to be the county's Climate Action and Green Enterprise Centre.
1: Wow, OK. Really breathing in new life there, so.
3: Yeah, and we're so happy it's in Kilcormac because, you know, it was one of the, the prominent peatland communities, um, you know, situated mm. uh, built basically around the peatland industry. It's in the centre of the county. And I love the fact that it's a ballroom. Like when I started this, I didn't imagine the Green HQ would be in an old ballroom. (laughs) Ballroom, but I love it. I love the celebratory aspect of it. I love that we're going to continue that community use. You know, we hope to have dancing still going on in there. Great. And uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We could even do Strictly at Fiesta. (laughs) once a year why not you
1: know yeah i'd love to go to that you will have to get your disco balls out so i hope they're up all the all the time permanently even while you're working in your offices you've got your disco keeping the
3: the (laughs) dance floor and the the dance floor is incredible this big maple sprung dance floor it's it's really lovely and it's huge
1: brilliant Yeah. yeah yeah so i suppose there's that famous COVID phrase we're hearing so much now rebecca build back better uh, which we're probably oh, sick yeah. of hearing, but <laughs> it, it kind of applies to this, I guess. Does it that you're, you're when you think of the, the green and the sustainable aspect of all of this, you're you're trying to revitalise these communities, but to, to make them sustainable for the future?
3: Yeah, definitely. I see it as an evolution. I think, you know, everything in life is in evolution. And it's like that era of Offaly's life has kind of, you know, come to an end like we still remember it we can still talk about it it'll still be part of our heritage but now we're moving into the 21st century and it's almost like building another layer on that story you know it's Mm. evolving the picture and I think we've got an incredible opportunity in Offaly it's like every we're so important when it Mm -hmm. comes to Mm -hmm. climate change we've got peatlands which are going to be, they're like the the equivalent of a rainforest ecosystem in terms of the carbon that they can absorb. You know, we have massive agricultural lands, and again, the farmers are going to be on the front line. So we're looking at doing everything we can to help them kind of, you know, diversify income. Like we've got funding from LEADER to deliver a guide for farmers looking to um, generate renewable energy, whether that's from biomass or crops or solar. Mm. So, yeah, we're we're trying to find solutions that benefit people across yeah. the board.
1: I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's you hear so much, I suppose, about just transition and and the wind down of peat harvesting, which is obviously you know it's very sad and it's uh, affecting people's livelihoods, which is is yeah. um, not to be. Um, you know, um, undermined in the slightest, and they need to be supported in that. But I love how solutions based uh, f- and focused you are. You're making me feel hopeful about the future, even, um, you know, here in Offaly. So it's uh, it's fantastic to hear about what you do. Oh, great. Thanks, Helen. <laughs> Thanks if anyone to. would like to, to find out more about, about it, is there somewhere, have you a website or s- somewhere we can yeah, find we more we information? Do.
3: Yeah, you can go to www.greenoffaly.ie. Uh, We've got a lovely new website. It was launched on Earth Day this year, and uh, that just gives you an overview. We've tried to cram the 20-year plan into that website, Um, so you should get some flavor of what we're hoping to do. I mean, change doesn't happen overnight, obviously. No. And I think it's really important not to look for quick fixes because that just ends us up with the same problems, you know?
1: yeah yeah you're dead right it's, it's, so fair yeah, play yeah. to you've got great energy and, and again solution focus so it's it's lovely to see and revitalizing our our towns and villages here in the midlands so look at rebecca thanks so much for joining us on chashers and matters
3: no problem ellen you're very welcome
1: rebecca keaveney from green awfully there we'll be
0: back after this short break chasher's and matters with ashling o'rourke on midlands 183 with St. Kieran's Nursing Home, Rathcabin and Comfort Keepers Live and Care Services.
1: We're tuned to Chatters and Matters on Midlands 103 brought to you by Comfort Keepers and St. Kieran's Nursing Home, Rathcabin. Now, if storytelling and creative writing pique your interest, I have just the event for you coming up in the Midlands this coming week. Awfully Older Persons Network is holding a storytelling and information session this Wednesday the 24th of November from 2 to 4pm and it'll take place online via Zoom. Writing is, is one medium through which the network has been helping to keep older people active and busy during these strange and sometimes lonely times and the fruit of many writers' work will feature in The Way We Were publication later this year. So a couple of these writers will be attending this Event on Wednesday, sharing stories on Mona and life in Tullamore in the 1960s. There'll also be some information on hand two on staying safe. On post postal dates, fire safety, and much more. So, if you're interested in joining this event, I'll let you grab a pen and paper um, so you can take down the details on how to get in touch. It seems like a very interesting way to fill a couple of hours this Wednesday from two o'clock to four o'clock. So, if you would like to participate, you can contact Bridie Costello Hines on 086 11 98 591, Declan Costello on 087 Three three six or Molly Buckley on 87 Now before we go any further, let's take some music. Here's Michael
0: Buble. Chatters and Matters with Ashling O'Rourke on Midlands 183, with St. Kieran's Nursing Home, Wrath Cabin, and Comfort Keepers Live and Care Services.
1: You're very welcome into the final part of today's show. It's a beautiful day by Michael Bublé there just before the break to kickstart our Sunday morning. He's a great man for the Christmas hits too, so expect to hear a lot more of him over the next month or so. Now, if you're from Leash, there's a good chance you would have encountered the late great Mick Dowling at one point or another. A champion for Leash and particularly the sleeve blooms, he's been remembered very fondly in the area since his passing in 2019. Well, his grandnephew Shane joins me this morning to reminisce a little bit about old times. You're welcome to Chatters and Matters, Shane. Um, Thanks for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me. Are you a Leash man yourself, Shane?
4: I am from Cameras.
1: Right, so so uh, those around cameras who who um, remember Mick fondly, um, I'm sure you know them as well. It's it's a kind of tough talking about those who've passed on, I suppose, but I'm sure you all have very fond memories of Mick, have you?
4: Yeah, everyone will have fond memories of Mick, there's I'll describe him as just being a very friendly person, selfless, caring. He loved to keep busy as well.
1: Yeah. And he, anything
4: that to do with machinery or technology or animals and children, he loved all of that in archaeology and the history of the land and
1: Geez, he sounds like oh, nice. a, a very busy man.
4: Yeah, like I said, he always keeps busy. He's never always on the go.
1: And just for anyone who who maybe is from elsewhere in the Midlands and and hadn't come across yeah. Mick at all, what what kind of stuff was he was he doing? I know he was involved in a lot of um, like community groups and that.
4: Yeah, he was involved in many different groups. Let's say he was involved with Leash Heritage, Leash Tour Tour Guides, Publi- Leash Public Partnership. He was. Earlier on in life he was involved with the IFA. When the grants started to come in, he was a member of the IFA and he was chairperson of both county and club and county level. And he was part of the main negotiations at the time for the IFA with the, the Department of Agriculture to get okay. these different grants into the areas around the mountain. Yeah. And Sleeve Bloom Rural Society. He was involved in many associations, Red Cross, Harlan, Civil Defence. Let's just name a few, there's plenty more.
1: Wow, wow, fair play to him, he had a serious amount of energy. Um, Could we chat a little bit about his his early life first though, um, Shane? Do you know much about what he was like as a young lad?
4: He was born in Glen which is the foot of the Mountains in the spring of 1939. And shortly after that, the family moved down to Derry which is just above the village cameras, between the mountain and cameras. And he was the eldest of six in the family. He had three brothers, Dinny, Patrick and Fint. And then he had two sisters, Anna and Riha. And they all slept in the one bed, head to toe, during their childhood. And they all had their jobs, different jobs on the farm from the time they could walk. Um, Not uncommon, I then. suppose,
1: for that time, but we'd probably think it's totally alien these days.
4: No, well, yeah, back then, that was just, that was just the way it was. Um, yeah, he went to school then in Camrose in the National School in cam- or well, Primary School in Cameras would have been at the time and he left that at 13 and he went walking in the wood and he would have worked for three, three pound for six days work at the timber and the forestries which was the average wage at the time or at least wage at the time which today thinking back today now three pound for your six days work would be yeah. looked at fairly well
1: mm, Absolutely
4: Later on then as he grew up a little bit he passed for the guards and he was getting ready to start into that but then his father died when he was 25 and he took over the family farm then from then on. From that point then after he took on the farm he first went in and got or bought went into more cows and he got shut down then shortly after with TB and he went back then and got sheep for the farm just to have some bit of income but for three years the farm and He has very little income and he has only three to four hours sleep every night trying to keep just things ticking over at the
1: time. Yikes.
4: Luckily though most of the farmers back then were all self sufficient to have their own vegetables and stuff on the farm Mm. and they were able to live off that. From then then he was one of the first in the area of Cameras, let's say, or that to have a tractor. He bought a David Brown in nineteen fifty five for he was four hundred and fifty pound to get for it. 25 or talk, 25 of, the, or 30 talk of the
1: town then I'm sure
4: oh yeah and he was <laughs> from that from that then he was one of the first to get into silage when he bought a side I think it was a JF 43 inch cut and he would have been once he got that then and people started getting into silage around the area it would have been from early April right around to September, October been just mm. constantly busy at that so he got lucky that way and then he had a income behind him or bounce back after the time of having no income and uh, getting locked down with TB the years before. Yeah, yeah. From his class in school, from his class, the class below him and the class above him, there was only him and two others in the classes that stayed in the local area. Everyone else had emigrated or left the local area to go different parts of the country to get work.
1: Right.
4: And himself and Paddy Dooley seen this and they went on different trips to... Scotland and Wales and they seemed that there was different schemes there for helping the areas and to saying that they said, none of this in our area or Ireland more or less. Stay so went and they worked on getting different schemes, they set up the Rural Development Society and that moved on then later in years and became or went into tourism. So they helped bring first of all different grants to the area for farmers to be able to make a living and for, to try and retain more people in the area and mm. over the years then up till now there's bike walks and, or bike cycles and walks being put into the mountain and these are all results of that coming, coming into the more tourist area of the plans
1: Okay so anyone walking through or cycling through the sleeve blooms and are wondering the origins of, of those amenities well they they probably date back to, to McDowling
4: Yeah to some extent some of them
1: might Great great uh, and where do you think he got that interest in the community, Shane? Like, he seems so committed to, to improving the area. It, it doesn't, the same doesn't really go for everyone. I know some people would rather sit back and, and let someone else do it, but he seemed very proactive.
4: Yeah, I think it was more so just he's seen so many people leaving the area and there's history and everyone kind of lost the area. But he used to say that he's, um, he remembers when he was young, he used to go out and pick the tur- or turnips or onions or whatever was in season at the time with his granny. His granny used to know, used to tell him all about this and everything when he was only young, like a child, and he'd go down to collect stuff for dinner. And he kind of got the interest, his first interest of history and stuff started from there, and the history of the land and the interest started from there. And he used to meet different people then on the mountain doing farming. Like He used to, when they were doing walks from uh, the bridge of Capard off over the my other side was side the mountain and bringing sheep up over the mountain the whole way back to the camel side on the opposite side. Yeah. He met lots of people and learnt lots. And I think that's where he got his interest and he just didn't want to see any of that disappearing over time or more people leaving the area.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It kind of instilled that sort of pride of place in him, kind of passing on those stories and and the kind of importance of your local community. I suppose some sometimes we forget just how important that is to remember that you we're kind of responsible for our communities that that's how we make them vibrant I suppose.
4: Yeah. And then there were some people that used to be great for ancestors and stuff there was people mm-hmm. who come back and they would look to see people that left the area years ago and make used to know all the different graveyards and people used to come to him for tracing so he'd be able to you gave him your name he'd be able to go back and trace and he'd be able to bring the people used to come to him then used to bring him to the sites where they were buried and show them what a house that would have been born and raised four years ago
1: yeah yeah he sounds like a walking encyclopedia (laughs) yeah so then of course there's the the sleeve blooms walk um shane which has kind of been renamed in his honor is that correct
4: yeah there's a walk being named in sleeve Bloom mountains in honor of mick um and all he's done for the area, it's um, to be announced early next year. I believe that could change depending on different circumstances. But that's the he be the first one in the mountains to have a walk named after him, or the only one yeah. in the mountains to have a name that, named after that a person.
1: A huge honour. It goes to show how highly regarded he was.
4: Oh yes, definitely, indeed. And I think the sleeve loom sleeve loom association. Um, he was chairperson of them before he died, and John Rigney has now taken over. But hes um, They're erecting a the plaque in his honour uh, they're hoping to do it in the village of Cameras, near the Port's Cottage. So that's Lovely. another...
1: Oh, kind a of tribute to him. Cause.
4: So he did a lot of work with the Sleeve Loom Association, and he helped them, and they helped bring back some of the ancient festivals. they run five fest- festivals throughout the year, such as the mm. Milking of the do- Goats and Fock and Sunday and Sound they run them throughout the year and they helped try and bring back the history and bring back some of the stories to help these festivals not be forgotten.
1: Mm, that's so interesting, yeah. and It's it's um, great to hear Like they're then going to be passed on to, to younger generations these days and, and continue it on.
4: Yeah, that was Mick's main thing you saw was say, just he hoped that all these things would be carried on or kept on wouldn't be forgotten as long as these things weren't forgotten over time. That was his main goal and his main passion essay to go about and do this.
1: Yeah. So while he was very much committed to, to leash, um, Shane, he, he did he was fond of travelling as well, is that right?
4: Yes. He was um, after his retirement in ninety five on a farm, he travelled lots of different countries. He visited Portugal, Spain, France, Germany, Italy, South Africa. He walked a great wall of China, but his favourite two countries to ever visit was Switzerland. He just loved how everything was so pristine and clean yeah. and everything was just all had its place and then he loved Canada as well he wished to go back to Canada at some stage during the fall so he could see all the different colours throughout winter or of the autumn fall with all yeah. the different maple coloured trees and everything um, the only other place he kind of he wished to go visit before he died was um, he, like, he would have liked to see seen the pyramids of Giza because he loved the architecture and the history and all the different cultures that go with these different places That's, he was well travelled in them areas to go see these things
1: yeah, sounds like it. I know some people would be interested in going, but they mightn't bother. He he obviously got bitten by the travel bug anyway. He was all over.
4: Yeah, he was everywhere, and they always said he travelled light. He just had a small bag that went with him, and that was it. And <laughs> that kept him going.
1: Yeah, fair play to him. And of course, a, a big GAA man too.
4: Yeah, he played hurling for many years when he was younger. He, say, he used to say about him, he started off at the school originally, and he hurled in a semi-final with the minors without a jumper or a pair of shoes <laughs> but these are standard nearly at the time
1: right, right. and
4: he, he went on then he hurled mainly cornerback and fullback for the cameras team and he was uh, part of the 59 team the first one to lift the county final senior level for cameras oh brilliant and after that then he stead in with the club and he did some work as first aiders for the th- different teams over the years
1: yeah, yeah, he, he hung up the boots as such, but he, uh, he was still in, still involved.
4: Yeah, he was still involved and still showed the face.
1: Yeah, yeah. God, he was definitely a very busy man. God bless his energy. Uh, I know there's younger people out there who, who, who wouldn't be as good as going around and doing as much as that.
4: Yeah, Dan Bergen of the Leash PPN, he's helped over the last two years since Mick's passing. In October of 2019, we've had a memorial walk for Mick every year in 2000, or in October. Um, the last two years we've done the memorial walk up at the Ridge of Capard and down into the Lost Village, and back up by Gallagher as well and we've had a decent turnout both of those years and afterwards each, on each of the walks there was uh, always Cuddy's Brew that looked after us and fed us with food.
1: Again a lovely tribute to make and it goes to show he touched a lot of lives and it kind of goes to show how many people turn out every year for that walk, uh, how many kind of fondly remember him, it's lovely to see
4: yeah we'd had uh, people who talk just would always invite people to, if they thought at any moment have a talk or anything nice to say about them they were always welcome to and this year actually especially we went down and got the would I mean, the clearest house at the bottom of the part of the valley one of the women um i can't think of her name now but she got she had a little she had, just gave a little small ceilidh dance that was taught by one of the old <laughs> school teachers in yeah, uh nice. at the time. Because Mick always loved his dancing. He was every dance. He was always at the Kayleys, or if there was something going on, in the pub. He'd be always down there. Even though he was a pioneer all his life,
0: he right. always used to yeah. say
4: that the uh, he always used to say that the barman would wouldn't make much off him anyway, just a few minerals and water.
1: <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, and of course, then he he passed away, um, Shane, in twenty nineteen.
4: Yeah, it was October twenty nineteen. He passed away before all that's happened. Has happened now up to this time, and still yeah. going on, but. He was up to the day, up to the time he died, like he was, he went into hospital and even that night he was organising, because he knew he'd be in hospital till whatever time the next morning, he was saying, he was organising people to go collect flowers from, him and I needed a suit collector from here and this needs to be done for this time mm-hmm. tomorrow and he was kind of, he was giving orders so he was ready to go <laughs> for the next day again.
1: Yeah, he had no plans of giving up just yet. But, no, uh, such but is he, life, yeah.
4: but all he ever said was, if, it, if it's going to happen let it be quick is what he used to always say so. He got his wish that way Tony. Yeah, that,
1: that's lovely. That's lovely. And it's great to see he was full of life right up to the end.
4: Yeah, never stopping and like it was only it was only just before I think a couple of I think it was two months before that I had done a walk with him. It would have been a saved walk on the Frock and Sunday where he started in Shraham Bay and Glenkiss and travel up around by what would have been his the house he was born in with the with the well out the back of it that he'd renovated and up to Ard Eyre and then and at 527 metres tall and he loved pointing out the three lakes of the Shannon that you could see on a clear day from Ard Eyre and like in the centre of the Midlands you can see all three mm. lakes of the Shannon all the way up yeah. across the country I'd say he knew the sleeve pint-
1: blooms like the back of his hand
4: oh he just there was if there was that and he didn't know about it it was very little
1: <laughs> I'd say so I'd say so but um it's, it's a lovely I suppose lovely to chat to you about it Shane and, and I'm sure people who knew him will uh, will, uh appreciate the the walk down memory lane and to remember Mick, um, the late, great Mick Dowling. So, look, thanks for joining us on, on Chatters and Matters, Shane.
4: Hello, thanks a million for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be on with you anyway.
1: Shane Dowling there, a grand-nephew of the late, great Leishman Mick Dowling. Now, that's our lot on Chatters and Matters this morning. Remember, if you missed any of today's show, you can listen back on midlands103.com. A big thank you for tuning our way. I hope you enjoyed today's edition. Thanks, as always, to the Age-Friendly Alliance for their contributions and to Rosaline for getting it all on air. I'm back in the hot seat again next Sunday. Until then, take care.